Welcome to the Cabin Culture Podcast, where we spend a little more time diving deeper into all the fun parts of cabin culture. We like to think of this as both the material and imagined expressions of how cabin lovers, dwellers, builders, designers, and dreamers wish to live a more simple and authentic life. Tiffany and her family enjoy all the outdoor activities. Trips to national parks have been a staple of their vacation and family bonding for quite some time. This takes a bit more planning when you're looking for accommodations that are not only wheelchair accessible, but universally functional. So, after some research, she began dreaming up her family's own escape in rural New Hampshire, designed thoughtfully in ways that supports all her son's needs and anyone else who may be looking for an adventure, but who have also found the same struggle booking a place that allows them to spend more of their trip enjoying their time together and less solving accessibility challenges. On this episode, Tiffany shares with us what her build process has been like so far and some simple modifications you might be able to make to your short-term rental that creates a more enjoyable experience for all. Okay, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because when I found you on Instagram, you immediately stood out because accessibility and universal design was one of the things we'd thought about in our own cabin and nobody was talking about it before. And you yeah. were just like openly talking about it. I think it was in the bio of your Instagram. So I just immediately knew building an accessible cabin in the white mountains of New Hampshire. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, this is different and so important. And I'm so grateful to have found this account. And then I pay more attention to it than the accounts that I follow. So can you start for folks who don't know you, can you start by just giving like an introduction to you and your family and your build? Yeah. So uh, my name is Tiffany Lund. I have a son who has cerebral palsy. We love to spend time outdoors. We love to do things together as a family. Um, and have and have gone out on adventures. We um, have found though that it's very difficult to find places to stay. Uh, we make it happen. We you know we deal with it. If there's stairs, we'll get up them. But um, we just uh, felt like there's a need for places that people can stay where they don't have to worry about getting into the house and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there just there just isn't very many of those. Um, houses out there, period. You, you know, they have the new, the categories on Airbnb. And if you go to, I don't remember what they call it, accessible or, or whatever it is, you go in there and you try and search for something. And there's like, they have to expand it to like the entire country to find more than just a, you know, a handful. So, um, I honestly didn't even know that that category was there. I'm looking at it right now um, because I didn't even know they'd done that, which is a good addition. That certainly makes it easier. But to your point, if you can't find one in the region that you're looking, it actually doesn't even serve the purpose. Right. Yeah. And I know that they're out there here and there, and there are plenty of people who have been in our situation, but it's just really hard to find places. And um you know, I, and, and so I felt like it was important to have that for ourselves and then to provide that, that there's, there's definitely a need out there for other people as well. So, yeah, I love that your family, you, you, like one of the first adjectives you used was just like very active and outdoorsy. Mm -hmm. And I love that obviously for a lot of people, 
thinking about having a son in a wheelchair with cerebral palsy might stop them from doing a lot of things and from following you. It does not seem like it stops you all at (laughs) all. And that he, I saw him rock climbing the other day. I saw you guys skiing (laughs) the other day. Like, can you talk a little bit about just like the adaptive sports world and all the ways in which you've been able to go as a family and do all the things? Yeah, it's, there's so much out there. I think if you're not in the world of special needs, it's difficult to know how much there really is, but there's huge organizations, um, around the country. There's an organization called move United. They have a little, you know, that's the parent organization. There's multiple small organizations that do all sorts of adaptive sports. There's, um, also local places, the rock climbing video that you saw, that was just at my son's school because they have, um, adaptive PE there. Mm -hmm. And, um, so there's individual, there's higher, um, you know, organizational type activities, and then there's just bootstrapping it and finding out, you know, what works for, for you as an individual. And I would say we've done some of each of those, uh, through our, our time in, in this world. Uh, and I think too, um, when you have a child that has special needs, I feel like it kind of does one of two things to people that, and at least this is just in my experience that either you, um, let it become your prison and you no longer do anything and you stay at home because it's, you know, it's hard. You have to, you have to make changes or you say, I don't want my life to change and, and have that happen. And so I'm just going to find a way to do it. And, uh, the more that you do that, I feel like you find other people who do the same things. And then it's, you're just talking with them and saying, how did you do this? And how did you make that happen? And then that gives you an idea. And then if you get a little creative, you can make things happen that way too. Yeah. Where was I going with that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, that was great. I was asking about the sports and all the outdoor stuff that you do. And that's like exactly the answer I was curious about. You haven't let it yeah. stop you at all. Instead, you, it sounds like found your own community and yeah. the more people you find, the more advice you get, the more resources you get and the easier it becomes. That's right. There's, so we do a lot of running and I had mentioned this in the, in the, um, interview form. We, uh, run a lot duo run. So I push my son, uh, and through that, I've found people across the whole country. And so we have contacts in San Diego and contacts in Arizona and contacts in, in Texas and Idaho. And so there's there's people that we know all over the country that do that. And then that gives you a little insight into something that they do in that part. And then you might link something else. And all of a sudden, you have all these different activities that you can do that are all related from that network. Mm-hmm. And um the other thing I wanted to mention as part of that question too, and you had you had posted in your story today about wanting to go to Zion and mm-hmm. and to Bryce, and that was one of our bootstrapping things because um, so the national parks I think have this big effort to be um, uh, to to comply to ADA, and so if you so I went down a rabbit hole one time and found like even these like these uh, self-assessment reports that they had done to say, okay, we need to change this because, you know, this, this, we don't have a spot for a wheelchair at this picnic table. And like, it goes very specific, but that is why we like going to the national parks is because they definitely have um, 
have opportunities and uh, and hikes and things that are set up specifically so that you can have uh, experiences even if you have mobility issues. Right. And and when I was we were planning to go to Zion, I looked at their website and found this. It was a rescue picture. So they had in the narrows, you know, the narrows that go through the Virgin River with the yeah. Slot Canyon, they had shown a picture of a rescue where they were pulling somebody in a raft. And I was like, hey, if they can pull somebody in a raft on a rescue, can we take an inflatable raft and and take my son through the narrows? And so we, I called up the rangers and they were like, yeah, if it's a mobility issue, yeah, no problem. So we had probably the most amazing experience of my life, taking my son in a raft through the narrows and all the cousins around us and aunts and uncles. It was, is amazing. It was, it was fantastic. So I think I, that's literally the hike that my friend wants to go on. That's what brought to. this whole thing up. She's like, I want to go there. And there's this hike called the narrows that I want to go on. I love it that that's exactly amazing. where you are. It is amazing. That that hike is so amazing. You're just like tromping through the river and there's canyons on both sides and the sky is blue and it's a hundred oh. degrees out, but it's cool <laughs> because you're in the canyon. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. I love that it has not stopped you at all. Okay. I want to go back to what you originally said when you would search for places. Um, there weren't many that you could find. What were the features? I just really, this is something I think about a lot with our own cabin. And I really want there to be some like tangible takeaways for folks listening. Yeah. Cause if we can impact like a hundred cabins to do some small things that like changes so things, right? So what were some of the things that you were looking for that, that you didn't find or that the things that really made a difference for you? The biggest thing is getting in the door, right? Just to be able to have a path that doesn't have stairs is nearly impossible to find. So we will look for for places that don't have stairs, but if we can't find those, we can deal with like one or two stairs. We can make that happen. It's not a problem, but that I would say is the most important thing. And then second to that, is having a a bedroom on the first floor, a bedroom and preferably a bed and bath on the first floor. But if we have those two things, that's all we really need to to make it happen. And, um, you know, obviously there's other things like open floor plans, but so many places have that now anyway, that it's it's fairly easy to, um, in a newer build anyway, it's, it's pretty easy to navigate when it's open floor plan, but getting into the house is the biggest, yeah, the biggest barrier, I would say. If you're dreaming about a cabin build or are in the midst of a build, or you just bought a place and are getting ready to host for the very first time, regardless of where you are, sometimes you just need a little help along the way. Shared experiences from someone who's been there, advice from someone who's learned a lot of lessons the hard way. That's me or a cheerleader as you finish up. All of these reasons are exactly why I started offering cabin consultations to our Instagram followers and friends who could use some specific one-on-one help. I can't promise to solve all your problems, but I can promise to be transparent about our build costs and process, our organization and project management systems, our favorite and least favorite tools for renting, how we market, and how we found ourselves with almost 80,000 Instagram followers and 100% occupancy in our first year of hosting at Cozy Rock. So if that sounds like it might help you, feel free to visit us at staycozycabin.com 
or on Instagram at Cozy Rock Cabin and sign up for a time to chat there. Okay, for those of us just theoretically, maybe exactly like Cozy Rock, all have like one step up. Yeah. Are there ramps that can do the trick? Um, what should we be looking for in purchasing a ramp? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, you can. So I think we haven't had to buy any. So I'm just kind of saying this off the top of my head, but I know that there's, I think, aluminum, like removable ramps that you can you can take out and put down on the stairs and then remove them. And I bet if you had those, because I think that Airbnb has a place where you can tick off certain elements of accessibility. And then I think if you have those ticked off, you can show up in some of those categories and it'll identify what you have. Um, I think that if you, even if you have like a, a temporary ramp that you can bring in and out, I don't, I, I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I think that that can fall into um, one of those accessibility ticks. Okay. So, so that is, that is something that for sure can be done. Okay. So all of those sound pretty, I mean, at least I'm thinking of course, very selfishly about my own property, but <laughs> the, the bedroom on the main floor, a lot of places have that. We have bedroom and bathroom on the main floor, the biggest obstacle for us. And we have a pretty open floor plan. So it's really just getting, what about doorways? And I guess there's this line right between people who've already built or bought, and there's like big structural changes you can't make doorways might be one of them. But I think a fair amount of people who listen to this are also planning, dreaming, in the designing stages. So what about doorways? Are standard doorways enough? Do they need to be a little bit larger? So it all depends, right? For us, we can get through a 30 inch door. We can't really get through anything smaller. And if you go into some of the cabins from like the eighties, you can get much small, like 24 inch doors. I think they're pretty small. We can, we can deal with a 30 inch door, but ideal, right? ADA is 36, I believe 36 doors and like 42 two inch hallways or something like that. But if, if you're building new, then I would definitely encourage looking at just a, just it's only six inches, right? Just a slightly wider doorway and it makes things a lot easier. So, but a lot of people can get through 30 inches. It's just a little more difficult, right? You have to watch things a little bit more. Yeah peripherals on a wheelchair and things like that. Right. I think this is why like traditionally places were defined as handicapped accessible, but I'm starting to hear more and more um, the term universal design. Mm -hmm. And I really like, well, why don't you start by telling us the differences between those two and how you think about it and hear it? Yeah. So ADA are codes, right? That this has to be this wide and um, you can't have more than this step. And, you know, this, it's very numbers oriented and, and, and dimensionally um, specific. Whereas I think with universal design, it's more of a way of thinking that you're thinking for everyone um, of all ages, right? It's sort of this age in place and um, and and designed for everyone and what makes things easy and simple. So, um, you know, like maybe a really small example is a paddle light switch as opposed to like a little, the little um, toggle. Do you know what I mean? Like a paddle yeah. versus the little knob that you do or a punch button light switch, like a paddle is just so much easier. If you don't have a lot of like fine dexterity with your, with your hands, it's just way easier to press a paddle. And, and, 
that fine dexterity may be, you know, someone who has a mobility issue, or it might be grandma who is having trouble, you know, has arthritis now, or it might just be a little kid who, you know, is, is reaching up and it's just easier to, to, to smack the paddle than to try and, uh, flip it with the little toggle. But I think, um, it's just that general idea of making it easier for everyone. And then it's easier for someone in a wheelchair and you never know, right. When you might be in the, in the situation where you might need a wheelchair, right. We have accidents, we age, all of these kinds of things. And if you can build it so that it can last your whole lifetime, you know, with some level of circumstances, you can't predict everything, but, but to just make it a little bit easier should other things happen. And I think that then takes it away from being numbers and, um, and, and dimensionally oriented to more of a way of thinking of how, how can this be easier? And, and what, what are the types of things that can be helpful? I always give the example of someone like pulling their suitcase in. So you've just had a long trip and maybe it took you a while to get to the cabin or wherever. And now you've got to lug your giant suitcase up the stairs. So universal design you don't even think about how easy it is that you're pulling your suitcase and you don't have to come up the stairs, but it's, it's something that can be valuable for everyone and not just someone who's in a wheelchair. That's right. I love, I love that way of thinking. It feels so much more human oriented. Mm -hmm. And to the point about, we could all experience this at any time. One of my clients at work, I'm a videographer is, uh, her name is Allie Ingersoll and she's Miss Wheelchair America. And so we just filmed one of her speeches recently. And in it, she like said that exact thing to this audience. It was all like CEOs and CFOs of like healthcare companies. And she had them raise the hand, like how many of you have a disability? And not many people did. And she just listed like so many different disabilities that inevitably a hundred percent of the people in that room will at some point have a disability. We don't yet know which one it is. So I love this idea. If, if designing for other people isn't motivating enough, which like ideally it would be, but just designing for yourself and like, what might you come up against at some point in your life? You don't know what that is. So let's just plan all of them. I had never thought about light switches that just adds to the list (laughs) of like all these small things that that makes no difference to me. What light switches I have. I have no personal preference. Another one is like the faucets having like, and, and door handles to have levers instead of knobs that you have to, like, if you think a knob, I know not everybody can see what I'm actually doing with my hand, but you have to like twist your hand to turn a knob versus just kind of dropping your weight down on a, on a lever handle. Um, And yeah, so that's another that's another sort of manual dexterity one that's simple, totally simple. If you're, if you're, um, if you're conscious and thinking universal design that, that might be helpful. Yeah. And if you, but like, I'm thinking our doors both have knobs. We only have two doors <laughs> in the cabin, um, but that would be so easy for us the next time we're up to just get yeah. handles instead, which yeah. I like actually, or levers. I actually think that might look nicer design wise than the knobs that we have, <laughs> which just like came with the doors but such an easy switch for anybody to make tomorrow. Yeah. Not expensive, not difficult. You could do it yourself. Yeah. It makes yeah. a big difference. Yeah. And, and things like, you know, motion activated lights, that's, you know, that's good for everyone. Right. But if you don't, it, I'm thinking in particular outside, right. You want it outside anyway, so that when you're coming up to the house, you can, you know, 
punch your code or use your key right. or whatever, but also it's helpful if you can't reach up to a, a light switch. So, right. Right. Okay. Let's talk about your specific build for a little bit. Cause I'm curious mm-hmm. how that's going for you all. Cause you're mid build right now. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you live? Where is the cabin? Tell us some of the details first. So we live in, in Massachusetts. We live in suburban Boston, a little bit Metro West, they call it. And then our cabin is our build. Our build is up in New Hampshire. So it's about two hours North straight north. Um, and it's in the White Mountains up there. So it takes us two hours to get to the site. And it's very close to a bunch of, you know, hiking and, um, and ski resorts and things like that. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're mid build. It's been a a very long process and it is, I'm in the frustration point. Mm. I won't lie. Yeah. (laughs) When did you start? We, so we bought the property, in March of 2020. So, <laughs> so right at the start of the pandemic, <laughs> right at the start. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so you had no idea what was coming. Wait, no, I'm sorry. 2021. 2021. Okay. Okay. So we had gotten through. Yeah. We had, so sorry. Yeah. 2021. Okay. Did the pandemic have anything to do? Cause my next question was going to be, how did you know that it was time to build? And I feel like during the pandemic, a lot of us wanted to travel more, but couldn't go very yeah. far. Was that when you started to experience some of the frustration with finding places that you could go with your family that were accessible? Yeah, I would say even so the finding places that were accessible, I would say it even goes a little bit earlier, but maybe just like a, a, a year earlier, I started a new job and my boss was like, you have to travel because this is a stressful job. So you need to take long periods off. And so then we started, you know, a week somewhere, we started trying to spend, spend, uh, you know, extended time. And that meant, you know, uh, renting Airbnbs and things. And so, wait, your boss was like, the one who pushed you into the cabin life because they were like, you need downtime. <laughs> Pretty much. She's like a Disney person. So I think she thought I was going to go, you know, on a Disney cruise or something. <laughs> like, okay. I love this so much that your boss was the one who was like, you need to take time to yourself. I wish more bosses did this. Yeah. So yeah, long weekends weren't enough. She's like, you're not gonna, you're not gonna relax enough unless you, unless you go for long periods. And that's what prompted the Zion trip. And then we also went up to Acadia a couple of times. And that was, I love, I love Acadia. I love it. Yeah. Love it, so. I mean, it is the way life should it be. It is. <laughs> <laughs> we we had we have such a good time again national parks right they make it accessible so the carriage trails the, the yes. trails oh those were so great we have a tag along bike and just wandered all over the place on that it was oh that sounds beautiful did you go in the summertime yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Ugh, what a good place to be that time of year yeah yeah it was great and we went you know the we were supposed to go with the big family but of course the pandemic happened. So we had to sort of change that. And we went as a smaller group at a smaller place and um, had a great time and then had to go back, had to go back again because it was so, it was so fantastic. Isn't that always the struggle? I feel like we have this fight in our family a lot and in our family, I mean, between Sean and I, which is like, we find someplace we love and we want to go back. And do you spend your vacation time doing that? Or do you go someplace that you've never been? But when it's someplace you've never been similar, you know, it's like, where are we going to stay? Is this going to be like, is it going to work for our family? Whatever. And if you've been somewhere and love it and you're like, I know this is great. It's so easy to just want to go back. 
we're going to do Yosemite this summer. So I'm really excited. I'm really excited about that one. When are you going? That is like my favorite national park in August. I'm so excited for this time frame. So yeah, that's also, I think that there were a lot of cabins built on Yosemite, like the property, because a lot of the ones that I was looking at there, even though they looked like they were probably built in the eighties, they all had like level entrances. And even though they were on like mountainous areas, and I think it might be because they had to, they had to follow some ADA regulations or something. So because they're in the park, they're in the park. Yeah. I love that. That's how it all should be. Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you, that's when you decided that it was time for you all to build. You're a program manager at work, which I don't know entirely what that (laughs) means, but it sounds very detail oriented. So I'm imagining that you approached the initial stage of, I think it's time with a whole lot of research. Can you talk about how you how you approached that from like finding land to budgeting to financially knowing that you could pull it off. No need to go into like details on numbers, but just generally, how did you approach that? Yeah. So I think, um, and this maybe links in with your earlier question about when we decided to do it, you know, during the pandemic, I think it was like, I'm spending so much money at all of these other places. How much money am I spending there? And how much would it cost if I actually did this myself? And does that make sense? And just, um, I think initially I was looking at the Cape, right? Because that's where everyone goes here. And that's where everyone we knew. We were going to our house on the Capes and we can work from the Cape. But that, I don't know, I just, it didn't quite fit, right? And, um, but the numbers still, I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shove money into a savings account and I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep doing that while I can. And, And eventually three to five year kind of plan, I'll make this happen. And sort of figured out all of those financials and then um and then that with along with some of the activities I knew it wasn't the cape but then what could it be and mm-hmm. the skiing um the adaptive skiing that we do just it really made sense to go there and then it really made sense from a you know a market standpoint because there isn't there isn't a lot of places there that are um accessible or even mildly accessible. And then you add on top of it that everything's, and I know everybody says like the bears and plaid, it's the, it's a very typical, you know, <laughs> bears and plaid kind of place where things are named after owls and eagles and bears. And so it, the opportunity to stand out there, I yeah. think also gave it, um, gave my business model sort of a bump that I could provide something in the market that wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get in the other places. So I could charge a little bit more of a premium. And so that allowed me to figure out finances. And, um, so yeah, I did that part and then wait, okay. Can we pause there? Can we get a little bit more in the weeds just because I think this can be really helpful, but like, what did that research look like? Did you go and stay at a lot of places there and see bears and plaids? Did you just scour Airbnb to study it? Did you use AirDNA? Like, how did you do that research? A little bit of both. I would say a little, a little, or a little bit of all of it, right? So we stayed at, at maybe four or five places um, during the ski season to kind of feel it out and see what was available. We have friends who have a condo close to the ski resort. So we kind of had that picture also. Um, I did look at, at, at things like air DNA, I think price, price something Mm -hmm. or other. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and then also just digging into, um, 
digging to Airbnb, like going through the pictures and detail everywhere, everywhere that was there. And, and, you know, what do they have? What, what, what do I want that they don't have? And then also did the exact same thing on the other side. So on the market side, when I was Redfin sends me like, I don't know, 50 emails a day now that yep. <laughs> so I can see what's out there and what's coming up. And I even went back and found properties that had been turned into Airbnbs that I thought were doing well and then found when they were sold. So I could do the whole, like the whole financial model for them. Here's how much they're making yeah. the profit because this sold for X and now they're charging this much. And this tells me that they're getting a, you know, an 80% occupancy. So yep. totally allowed me to, to make that whole financial um, side to make sure I knew if it would make sense to, to know if it was yes. a good, good investment. I feel like my biggest piece of advice for people who don't have a timeline, like aren't like ready to buy right now, but want mm-hmm. to at some point is to sign up for Zillow or Redfin alerts in certain areas, yeah. even if you're not ready to buy. Cause I yeah. did that in Boone, our first cabin. I was studying that market for probably eight years before we bought, yeah. which made it easier when it was time. Like, okay, I'm ready. I had a general feel for the market and what was good in that market, what was mm-hmm. expensive in that market, what you could expect. And once you see a lot of those, no. just kind of instinctively get better. And you know, yeah. they say there's no such thing as a good deal in real estate. So if you see something where you're like, this is a great deal, then, then you like know. Yeah. figuring out, okay, what, what am I missing that the market yeah. clearly knows I'm bringing in a structural engineer. I'm going to bring in all the inspectors. I'm going to like really do my homework because yeah. there's very rarely a, truly a like great deal in real estate. It and can then, happen. Then, you know, oh, this one popped up for 1.2. Oh, that's down to 750. Oh, it's still not selling like yep. three weeks later. Okay. It's down, you know, more in the range that you might expect it to be. So Right. All of that is information and knowing that information before you're actually ready to like pull the trigger, I think can be really helpful. Yeah. Okay. So how did you know when you find, found the land that you found? So it was, it, it was funny because it was almost like we walked on and knew it was the place. Right. So we, we had those Redfin, um, you know, listings. So we knew it was coming up. We had gotten a hold of a realtor and he was kind of sending us some things here and there. And, so we finished skiing one day and just went to like, I don't know, four or five of the different lots that were up and and we're like, okay, this one is in a place that's, you know, it's not giant houses, it's not mansion houses, and it's kind of level and, you know, this looks like it might fit. And um, one of those places we were like, oh, wow, this one's this one could be perfect. This one is great. We like this road. The neighbors seem very reasonable. Um and then we, uh, I, I totally fell in love with that spot. And uh, the realtor took us there, I think like, I don't know, the next weekend. And they were like, we just sold the lot. <laughs> like, oh, oh my gosh, no. So, but the, a few weeks later, a lot across the street came up and because those people, it's all those like realty connections, right? Because yep. he was a realtor and knew the people, you know, by name on the street. And this is, you know, Maria's Maria's neighborhood. Maria told him this one's coming up. And so we got, you know, the first, first look at the lot that we ended up, ended up choosing, which was right across the street. So Oh, so super close location wise. So everything that you yeah. liked in terms of the street, the neighbors, all of that yeah. was the same, just a different lot. Yep. Yep. 
And how did you go about the design process starting that? Did you do the design? Did you work with an architect? What was that process like? So we do, we did work with an architect. We, the architect that we use is actually one of the ski instructors at, uh, at Waterville. So we had met him there and, uh, he helped drop plans. We went through kind of, um, multiple iterations because I think when he said, Oh, a ski house, it's, it was like this, you know, typical, very, very large ski house with like a fireplace and like a giant, you know, stone fireplace in the center. And one of those bow kind of fronts and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so we had to do some back and forth, pull it back. Um, but yeah, we worked with him, went through a lot of different iterations. It got much smaller, then it got a little bigger and then smaller. And now we are kind of where we are, but but did work with the architect, but had a lot of input into the design as sort of, uh, sort of a macro level. And mm-hmm. then we've had a lot of input at the micro level and maybe even so much that they might be a little bit annoyed with us at times, but um but yeah, so that's the dance though, right? That was the yes. piece that I wasn't expecting. The like designer, the builder, the interior designer, and then you. It actually reminds me a lot of the process of getting a tattoo. Do you have any tattoos? Yes. <laughs> okay. It reminds me a lot of that process where it's like, okay, it's my body and it's going to be on my body forever, but I'm also not an artist. So I like want you to take my ideas and turn it into art. But then also I want to give feedback because it's going to yeah. be on my body forever. And the artist is like, well, I'm the artist. So trust yeah. me. <laughs> You're like, I do trust you, but also let's tweak this, right? Like that's what it felt yeah. like to me. I felt like getting yeah. tattoos prepared me a little bit for this process of like, I respect your art and I really want to communicate that a lot. And also, but I have tattoos where I didn't stand up for myself. And so then it ended up like not being ultimately what I wanted and it's on my body forever. So that taught me to like, okay, but it is important to say what you want. Yeah. Yeah. And we, yeah, it's, (laughs) this is a process and we also are kind of on, and I, I think that um, I heard I heard one of the previous episodes talking about this too, that um, we are not the big customers for them, right. even though our right. build feels big to us. They're working on a development on Lake Winnipesaukee. You know, it's like millions and millions and millions of dollars that they're right. working on. And so we end up being kind of low on the on the list, kind of the the right. filler, the filler kind of thing. So I think Part of that also is why we've, you know, taken a few things on ourselves that maybe, you know, most of the time people might not, but um, it's not a, it's not a kit design. It's fully custom, but then at the same time, you know, we, we need to fill in the gaps where, where there are gaps. And so, um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a dance. (laughs) Yeah. Where are you in the build right now? So we have exterior walls. We just put in our windows, which I am very, very excited about. Yeah, and um, that's kind of where we are. We are getting ready for mechanicals, but this is another this is another dance that we've been doing. <laughs> so we we want this to be a very a very green kind of tight uh, building and uh, get away from fossil fuels as much as we can for the mechanicals. And, um, that's not really the HVAC guy that our builder uses his, his bread and butter is a boiler, you know, and, and gas and a giant propane tank. And, um, 
we have wanted to do a heat pump instead. And so we've had, we've had a lot of back and forth on that and it's really kind of slowed us down and came to the, um, point where we said, okay, we're going to then have to just design what we want and then have, you know, have your HVAC guy install it. And so that means that then we have to go back to the drawing board and reach out. My husband's on like uh, some green building forum. Some guy from there is is an HVAC guy somewhere else that is going to design it for us. Mm-hmm. But then he's got a lead time of of eight weeks. But um, so it's put us in a bit of a pause. <laughs> but I think I think it's a good pause to be in because I think we're also. Um, it'll give us the product that we want in the end from a mechanical system standpoint. And, um, and also I think we might be able to find, uh, a, a, somebody who's maybe more in line with the budget than, than our, than our, uh, builders HVAC guy, guy was. So this is what's hard with timeline and like, you want to make sure you're putting in enough time to get things right. The first time it's so much more expensive to redo anything, but then yeah. also once you've started, especially if it's going to be a rental and it depends on your financial model. But for mm-hmm. us, it was like, we're just bleeding money until we can rent this place. <laughs> and so I wanted, yes, there were certain times where it's like, I really, I know that I should be putting more time and thought into this decision, but I would just lean on my builder, which is also yes. my cousin and be like, okay, that sounds right. Go. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because analysis paralysis and, and decision uh, exhaustion and all of that. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. What has been the hardest part of the build so far that you were expecting to be hard? The money probably. I, yeah. I mean, you always expect it to be hard and I'm not sure I expected it to be as significant uh, as it is, but I knew, you know, I, I knew that it was going to be more than I think I first first uh, budgeted for. So that's, that's probably the, the expected hard part. Yeah. Where can, where can I find this money mid build in order to make any compromises, especially when it's yours? I do think that there's like different mindsets behind like, oh, I'm building a property with seven cabins and I'm just trying to maximize profit margins and like maybe, you know, be a great host and create an experience and all those things too. When we were designing Cozy Rock, it was very much like, oh, we also plan to retire here. Right. (laughs) So you really, and it sounds like you all, this is your place. And so you don't want to make any compromises in a place that you're going to be the one that deals with it for the long term. Right. We don't want that giant propane tank. Right. Forever. (laughs) We we might want to do solar one day. So, you know, do what we can to make it. Yeah. So what's the most unexpected thing that you've had to face? Uh, I think it's those, I, I think it's that we've had the filling in the gaps kind of piece. That's, that's a little more unexpected than, than, um, I was ready for. So I, there are things that I wish could just have been like, this is what it's going to be rather than me saying, I don't know how to do a lighting plan. Okay. I'm going to have to now research how to, where I should stick lights and, you know, how much needs to be in here. And is this enough? And, you know. Uh, Isn't that fascinating that like, cause the same thing happened with me where it was like, okay, where do you want the lights? And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I remember frantically calling my interior designer and being like, is this a thing you can do? Cause like <laughs> yeah. we need tonight, cause he needs answers tomorrow. 
Yeah, literally, I just emailed the my and she's she's not a full interior designer for me, but she is an interior designer, and I keep taking things to her as like a a gut check and and a second opinion. And I just emailed her today saying, "Can we meet so I can show you what I did, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm missing anything big, if anything's glaring." So. I think lighting is maybe the biggest mistake we made along the way. If I were to redo like one part of the build, it would be lighting. And I don't hate it, but it's more like thinking about the type of light, the temperature, the location, which switch it's on. So which ones you can turn on together versus (laughs) like all of those small things. Sometimes I haven't even done the switch part. (laughs) Oh my God. The switches. It was like, which switch do you want to turn on what? And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never lived in this cabin. But then once you start living in it, you have strong feelings about which right. switches turn right. off which yeah. light. Why does that switch there? Why does that? St- yeah. Yeah. What was I thinking? Why does this switch not connect to anything? Oh, wait, it does connect to that outlet up in the loft to yeah. turn on the Christmas lights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever I had planned at the time. Dimmers. I would highly recommend dimmers. We dimmers. didn't use any, but I think that would have helped with some of these okay. instead okay. of like all the lights on and then all the lights off. It's like, okay, well, if I had an in-between, maybe I'd be happier. Right. Right. I'll have to let me note that down. So <laughs> oh, lighting, man, that is the one thing every time we're at the cabin during the day, I'm totally fine. Cause it's all sunlight. Like Pete does an amazing job with the windows, but at night I'm like, yeah. what did I do with this lighting? <laughs> Hi guys, Sean here, host of Chelle. The dreaded mud season of Vermont is finally drying out, which means it's time for all the spring and summer activities you've been missing out on this winter. And what better place to stretch the legs and breathe in some green mountain air than southern Vermont? Let me share with you my usual routine when I pack a bag and head to the A for the weekend. First things first, roll the windows down and let the fresh air in. I don't know what it is, but for some reason you can feel and smell when you cross the Vermont state line from Massachusetts. What's a road trip without a coffee and a pastry though, so before you make the turn up the big hill into the farmland, pull over at Shelburne Falls Coffee. Next enjoy the winding two-lane drive up and over the mountain and through the small Vermont towns with a podcast or your favorite playlist on. If you're hungry, make a pit stop at American Flatbread in West Dover for a slice of za and some local Vermont beer. One final stop to grab a bottle of wine and some cheese and a few supplies at the general store and 10 minutes later you're pulling off the paved road onto the gravel right away that leads you up to Chalet. With the car in park, I hop out with a big stretch, toss my bag inside and kick back in one of the chairs on the deck to enjoy the last bit of sun before it sets. With some snacks and a glass of wine, I toss on my most recent audiobook and light the fire pit and let my mind wander as the sun sets before tucking into bed for the night. But by far, my favorite thing is to wake up early as the sun is rising and sit on the front deck with a hot cup of coffee as fog and dew burns off the grass and out of the woods. With the whole day ahead, it's just tough to decide between hiking, biking, paddling, fishing, or exploring by car, all the fun spots we have just 10 minutes from the A. If this sounds like your kind of trip, hop on over to the booking link in the show notes or shoot us any questions you might have about the area. Okay, back to the show. It's the worst. Any advice that you have so far for others who haven't started building yet that you've learned along the way? Mm, Advice for others. Um, I think making sure that it makes financial sense and um, not... 
uh, and being prepared that it's going to be a lot more than you thought it was going to be when people give those like, oh, it's 250 a square foot. I have no idea where those numbers come from. Someone told me 200 a square foot. Are you (laughs) kidding me? Double and then maybe add like another more than that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so maybe thinking about that and then all of the questions, the, the more you can be specific at the front, the, the less you'll be dealing with change orders, right? Because change orders are the killer. So there's so many things that so many decisions that you don't even know you have to make that could be impactful to the cost. Right. So, you know, do you, what kind of flooring do you want? Do you, do you want linear drains? Do you want, you know, regular drain where, what is most important to you to have custom versus not like where, where can you save and what's important for you to, to kind of splurge on and because you're going to have to have a little bit of both. Right. So, um, so where did you splurge and where did you cut windows for sure was, is where you splurged. The biggest splurge. Oh, yeah. The best splurge though. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you'll just never get tired of it. We moved into a new house in Hillsborough and the only thing we complain about are windows. Why didn't they put more windows in? <laughs> more so, windows. Yeah. So that is the best splurge ever. Okay. What did you cut <laughs> on? We did. So at also some windows, right? So we had originally we had it so that there, and I don't even know why I'm telling you this because I swore I would never tell anyone and they wouldn't know the difference. But the, originally the architect drew the plan so that it was a 16 foot window. So like two sliders that opened yep. and we got the quote for it. And we were like, uh, there's, we just cannot justify that. Especially nope. we're not in the beach. We're not at the beach. We're not, you know, at a mountain Vista, it's not California. We're not going to be outdoors all year round. Yeah. So instead we split those up and have two sliders with a, with a steel, steel, uh, uh, structure in between the two. So, and nobody was, will know the difference. Nobody will know the difference. That was, it was like, Oh my word, I can't let go of this great architectural design element. And then it was like, nobody, nobody who comes here is going to say, Oh, this clearly was going to be a six That's foot right. slider. And now it is not, nobody's going to know the difference. So that was, that was one of the savings. And then, um, you know, I, I, the upstairs was a surprise that, so our grade was, um, I don't know how this happened because they have engineers that come out and measure all, measure all the slopes, but apparently our slope was a little bit stronger than they had anticipated. So we had to put in either a lot more concrete or a walkout basement and we chose the walkout basement. So that took away our stairs place from the bunk room. We had to add an upstairs suite and by the time we got to the upstairs upstairs suite, you know, money's kind of bleeding out. So the bathroom upstairs is like, it's got the fiberglass shower insert, which is like, it kills me that that's what I am going to end up with. But, you know, it's, it's, I have to, I have to save somewhere. It's just, right. I can't just keep spending and spending. No, nope. so. but also I feel like that's a great compromise because it's mm-hmm. one that can be undone at any time. Yeah. You can take that out and you can tile it whenever you want versus other compromises that can't be changed along the way. Like not, you know, a much bigger deal than the shower. That's right. That's right. And I've, I've purchased some lights that are really, you know, they are splurges, but then in other, there's other places that I'm just going to get a sconce from Etsy, the guy, you know, selling it for, you know, a hundred dollars for a, you know, really nice sconce. But, um, 
yeah. So, so finding that, you know, spend, splurge and save. So it's so yeah. hard. Yeah. It's funny that you say Etsy as the savings because I've almost <laughs> exclusively purchased all of our lights on Etsy because there's just so many beautiful artists and every one of them, I feel like is a splurge. Like yeah. my sister, the, the camp in Maine that I did with my sister, which was our most yeah. recent reno, I was in charge of all the interior design, but she was in charge of like all the bookkeeping and she, she like, like everything stop. was being shipped to her house. And she'd be like, I just got like five lights from Ireland. I just got some lights <laughs> from Greece. Like, what are you doing over here? Yeah. So, so to be clear, Etsy, Etsy is not all cheap and not all of my purchases of lights on Etsy are because I did also get like a, a, a linear light from Germany. That was a splurge. On, and totally on worth Etsy. it. I feel like lighting splurges are the best. Though. It's the jewelry of houses, right? That's right. It yeah. really is though. And, and I also think that sometimes like the simplicity of lighting Lighting. That's what our interior designer did so well. We have a couple yeah. lights that are like very simple, but yeah. they like make the room in a way that they're not fighting for attention, Yeah, but they just really pull it together. Yeah. Oh, I love lighting so much. That's maybe yeah. my favorite. <laughs> How much thought have you put into the hosting side? Because this is your first oh, Airbnb, yeah. right? Yeah. Not, not tons. <laughs> I mean, I have obsessed a little bit about, you know, how to do it and listening to podcasts about it and things like that. But I'm, I get worried about that as it gets a little bit closer. Um, I am going to try it. I'm going to see how I do. And if I don't do well with it, then I'm going to have to, you know, outsource that or something. We'll, we'll see. Um, we have lots of options for ways to do that. So that yeah. is not a deal breaker by any means. Yeah, we have. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have a renter. So we have a house hack here, right? Uh, an apartment above our garage. And um, that is fairly hands off. And I let my husband deal with all of the texts and stuff. So I worry that if somebody starts texting me about, you know, whatever the, the light switch won't work. I can't turn about on everything the light. about everything. I may just go out of my mind because I'm not going to be able to turn off, you know, and, and focus all the time because my job, my son, all those things have yeah. to come first. So, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes and trying to make it as foolproof as we can, but I'm sure, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. You'd have to tell me what, what, crazy things people do to you and how much time do you end up spending conversing with them? It's way more nice. It's like 99%. Like even I still get a little bit of anxiety every time I hear the Airbnb, like, cause I have a different sound on my phone for Airbnb. Yeah. But this weekend we had a bunch of communication from guests and all of it was like, we arrived. We love it. The place is amazing. <laughs> or like, you know, just stuff like that. So yeah. it, it over time, I feel like I'm getting a little bit better of not assuming the worst of like yeah, something yeah. broken. No, they're just communicating and letting me know that they've arrived and that they're happy. And that's great too. Oh, so good, it is good. way more good. I would say, don't be scared. Like you'll learn along the way, but it's yeah. way more good, good people, good experiences, good feedback, good, all of it. Yeah. It's way more energizing than it is draining. Okay. The last question that I have for you is something that you brought up in your pre-interview, <laughs> but is also something that I have been thinking about so much recently. And I feel like we're just going to make it a thing. We're going to ask everyone is the last question on the podcast, but, and I don't, to be clear, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but what do you think makes a cabin, a cabin versus a house? <laughs> well, um, 
That's a good question. I know I noted my the place is getting big or it's bigger <laughs> than I anticipated. It's got white walls. I'm not going to be able to have a wood stove. My husband would kill me if I did. And um, but I I kind of feel like it's a it's a retreat or a respite from your regular life. And it's a chance to be somewhere that is close to the outdoors, right? So that you can mm-hmm. spend time enjoying things in nature and the natural world and then but then still coming in and having you know the structure and the the a house right a structure to to relax at the end of the day and that's kind of the way I think about it right that it's not it's not my house where I'm here to sleep and go to work and to you know to like do sort of this regimented activity through the week but it's sort of that relaxation in in a natural environment um, that, you know, you want it to be comfortable and cozy. And um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of, kind of what I think about it. It's, it doesn't, it kind of pushes, I feel like my, my build kind of pushes the limits on what, you know, it's not the same type of cabin like I went to in church camp when I was a kid, right? But it's, it's still, it's still in that, a same realm, I think. So, yeah. What is your son most excited about for when it's done? <laughs> he, so he really wants a TV in his bedroom. So because he doesn't <laughs> have one at home so that he can watch YouTube in bed. So that is literally what he's most excited about. I'm not sure he's going to get it. I don't know. I mean, that's a tricky one too, back to the cabin question, because we don't have one at our cabin, but if it's truly a respite and that he right. feels like will give him a true vacation from home, perhaps he's not wrong. That's what he wants. Yeah. You can lay in bed and watch YouTube. Um, <laughs> How uh, old is he? He's a, he's 13, by the way. Okay. I told him that you had seen his um, video and that and that you liked it because you were a rock climber. And he said, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, yay. It totally stood out to me because I climbed for years and I was yeah. just like, this is badass. I yeah. love that like so many people are climbing now and like figuring out ways to do it. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah. He was climbing with your husband, right? Was there someone? No. Else? So that's the that's the the PE teacher. So, OK. Yeah. The, the athletic director at his school. And then that's amazing. They have adaptive PE. Yeah. Yeah. It's a school. So the whole school is a special needs school. So they do it. They adapt for like everything. There are kids on the spectrum that are totally mobile. There are kids with down syndrome. There are kids like my son who, um, you know, are, are in wheelchairs and have limited mobility and they make it happen for everyone. So isn't that what all schools should be like? Like, I can't stop thinking (laughs) about this idea of like universal design. And when I used to work in a school and my husband used to work in a preschool and he actually designed and built the playgrounds. Yeah. But my friend Victoria, who works in the studio with us, um, who has the daughter um, in a wheelchair has really recently been like very vocal about our local playgrounds and how they're not accessible and what this does to kids who can't play. Like what is worse than a kid not being able to play with other kids at their school? And I was like, oh my God totally true. And then I think about all the playgrounds at my schools, they weren't even just from like tan bark, right? Like not accessible for them to literally wheel even close to their friends and hang out with them. And I'm like, isn't this what all schools should be like? All kids can have fun in that environment. Yeah. It's so ironically, I have a friend who is working on a project. She, um, her son, 
uh, went to school with my son and she's been working with uh, her town, Arlington, to redesign a playground there that that actually has like really long slides. And that's sort of been a feature. It's sort of on this rocky edge and it's had these really long slides, but it's totally inaccessible for, you know, for anyone in a wheelchair. So they've actually been working on the project for like, I don't know, a full year at least of, of designs and, um, you know, ideas on how to make it better. And I think they're putting a structure sort of in the middle that has ramps to go up and around and you have to, it can't just be like, oh, a kid can get to the top through this ramp, but the kid is, you know, just being wheeled up by somebody else by themselves to get to the top. But instead, you know, how do you interact with other kids while you're in a wheelchair. It's a really that's the whole point. complex. Yeah. Right. Like how do yeah. they get to play with each other? And yeah. there are companies that exist that do this. We filmed a playground company who had just installed a new fully accessible playground yeah. and they had us come out and film it because they wanted to show other people like this is possible. Here are the kids cool. all playing together. Yeah. How do we make sure that people know that this exists? Obviously like capitalism too. I'm sure they make money by making these yeah. and advertising them, but also like if you just knew, maybe you would make different buying choices. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like is the whole idea of why I wanted to have you on this podcast. Cause I feel the same way about cabins. Like cabin culture is so important to so many of us, but accidentally, I think, you know, an intent versus impact, maybe it doesn't matter that it's an accident, but we're excluding people from our cabin. <laughs> yeah. Me being one of them. I'm not pointing fingers here. Like we really thought about this in our design and still made some choices. For example, we don't have ramps yet that make it less accessible. So just it's, it's hard though, because it gets into that cost thing too, right? right. You have to make some decisions and it, you know, having, having a level entrance is could be more expensive. And if you have to cut costs somewhere, then you have to do it. But, yeah. um, and even we had some ideas that we were going to do that we just can't, like, we just can't incorporate all of them. So, um, but you gave us so many small ideas today that anybody, there are very few financial, if you can afford to run a rental and your monthly expenses of a rental, you can afford to switch out doorknobs or like think about <laughs> some of these, right? Like, or even I'll do some research on the aluminum ramp because we really do want to get a ramp for the front. So I'll report back to the people as okay. to <laughs> as to how much that costs. Because I can't imagine that's going to be like, even if you have to save up for a couple months, like it can't be a yeah. huge deal breaker. And I the amount really, I think they're maybe like a few hundred dollars. They're not, they're not a lot of money. So. And if you're running a rental, you're making some amount of profit that you could put back into something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and sharing all this with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Good luck with the rest of your build. I can't wait. So little known fact, but my dad actually grew up in Laconia. And so the White Mountains are like a special place to like New Hampshire in general is a place that we like to go. And we're a family of skiers. So I have my eye on your cabin. It's done. Okay. So (laughs) I can't wait. It was so good to meet you. You too, Janice. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you heard, feel free to leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or share some of your favorite parts over on Apple Podcasts and a review. If you have any suggestions for guests or feedback, you can always find us on Instagram at Cozy Rock Cabin and The Chalet Frame, spelled C-H-A-L-A. See you next week, and thanks for joining us. 